Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 5, Episode 3, Kukai's Big Journey. Last time, we discussed the charismatic Sai Chou, who attracted many followers to the transplanted Tendai school, partly through the attractive doctrine that anyone could become an awakened one, a Buddha, in their lifetime. Kukai is practically Sai Chou's polar opposite in every way, from the manner of his birth to the type of Buddhism that he practiced. While Sai Cho was born and raised in the bustling court-centric Kansai region, Kukai hailed from northeastern Shikoku. He was a member of the Saiki family, a cadet branch of the Otomo clan. All we really know about his early childhood is that he was taught to read and made to study the Chinese classics a sign that his family intended for him to become a proper kuge and serve the imperial court. In 785, however, disaster struck when Fujiwara Tanetsugu was assassinated while overseeing construction of Nagaoka-kyo. Otomo Yakamochi, the chief of the Otomo clan, was accused of having a hand in the plot. Oddly, he had died the month before, drowning accidentally in the remote northeastern province of Mutsu. But he was nonetheless posthumously removed from the register of officials and denied the usual burial rites. As an aside, he may very well have been part of the plot, as these things often took many months and even years to plan. Whether he was involved or not, the Otomo clan received the full measure of Emperor Kammu's wrath as their leaders were stripped of rank and their members repeatedly denied any appointment to high office within the Daijo Daikon. In 791, when he was around 17 years old, Kukai relocated to Heijo-kyo. In spite of his family's recent ill fortunes, he had been accepted to study at the Daigaku, the Imperial University. As he hammered away at memorizing Confucian texts and Chinese histories, he became disillusioned with the thought of taking up government work. Perhaps his own family's fall from grace inspired this cynicism, but Kukai was no longer interested in becoming another bureaucrat who served at the emperor's pleasure. He took a keen interest in Buddhism instead, something readily available in the temple-filled city of Heijo-kyo. In his early twenties, as the court officials prepared to vacate Heijo-kyo for Emperor Kamu's new capital, Kukai found himself drawn toward Kokuzo, the bodhisattva of the void. Like Saicho, he sought remote mountaintops where he could chant Kokuzo's mantra as he meditated and sought enlightenment. At age 24, he wrote a dialectic allegory, which is a series of imaginary conversations called Sango Shiki. Its three volumes each contained critiques of three philosophical systems, Confucianism, Taoism, 
and Buddhism. Unsurprisingly, the conclusion of the work is that Buddhism is the superior philosophy. Far from being a mere polemic, the work is scholarly in nature and quotes extensively from Confucian, Taoist, and Buddhist sources. It is believed to be Japan's oldest comparative ideological critique, one of the first of the Heian period's many literary achievements. Kukai would wander from place to place, seeking shelter at nearby temples and practicing rituals or meditating on mountaintops throughout the Kansai region. It seems that he still felt he was missing something because he had a vision in which a man informed him that the doctrine he was looking for could be found in the Mahavairokana Sutra. This document was somewhat rare, as it had only recently come to Japan's shores, but at last he found a copy and read it eagerly. He found it impenetrable and dense, but he was still determined to understand it. Thus, he began seeking out a means of traveling to China, where he could hopefully find the training needed to understand the Mahavairokana Sutra. All of Kuukai's early work was done outside the boundaries of the official state-protected Buddhist establishment. Like Sai Cho, he was an unofficial monk. But unlike Sai Cho, he did not have a personal connection with powerful courtiers and with Emperor Kammu himself. It is something of a mystery, then, why he was allowed to travel to China with the same envoy mission as Sai Cho in 804. There are several theories regarding Ku Kai's sudden good fortune. The formerly ill fortunes of the Otomo clan and, by extension, his family clan, the Saeki, were steadily improving as time passed since the assassination of Fujiwara Tanetsugu. Many scholars believe that his family exerted its growing influence to ask the emperor to send the eclectic young man to China, where he might study and fall in line with one of the more mainline Buddhist schools. This strikes me as the most likely possibility, especially considering Kukai's stated goals in going on the mission. Kukai longed to travel to China and immerse himself in its many schools of Buddhism. According to his original plan, he intended to remain in China for 20 years. Emperor Kamu's motivation could have been both to ensure that the Saeki owed him a favor, while at the same time ridding himself of a troublesome monk who refused to seek awakening through official channels. Whatever the case, Kukai was bound for China in 804. Before you get too excited wondering whether he and Sai Cho regaled their fellow passengers and the ship's crew with expansive soliloquies on the nature of reality and their personal critiques of the various Nara schools, the two monks were on separate boats and never spoke during their journey to Tong China. It is possible they met and conversed while preparing for the journey in Dezaifu on Kyushu, but if so, we have no record of their interaction. I'm sure you were all terribly disappointed. The voyage was treacherous. While Sai Cho and Kukai were fortunate enough to be on the first two boats which managed to land, 
the third ship had to turn back because of storms, and the fourth was lost at sea. Holly's trips were very prosperous endeavors for the imperial court. The danger involved in crossing the East China Sea in this period meant that such envoys required a significant investment of resources which could end up at the bottom of the ocean. While Sai Cho's ship managed to land in the northern port town of Mingzhou and was quickly granted permission to travel to Tiantai Mountain for his studies, Kukai's ship landed much further south in Fujian province, near Taiwan. As the local authorities did not know such an envoy was expected, they impounded the ship and denied its passengers permission to enter the city. Unlike Sai Cho, who required the services of an interpreter during his time in China, Ku Kai was fluent in both spoken and written Chinese. He wrote a letter to the governor of Fujian, explaining their purpose. It must have been very convincing, because the impound was lifted and the ship granted permission to dock, as the relevant passengers were ordered to travel straight to Chang'an, the capital of Tang China. The court of Emperor Daezong assigned Kukai to study at Ximing Temple due to his interest in esoteric Buddhism. This particular iteration of Buddhism originated from the Vajrayana tradition, which today is practiced largely in Tibet and Mongolia. Ximing Temple was a perfect fit for Kukai, who eagerly learned Sanskrit from Prajna a Buddhist from what is now Pakistan, and studied under the prestigious teacher Hui Guo. Esoteric Buddhism developed originally in the 400 CE in India and spread gradually to the east and north. Vajrayana itself is named for a mythical weapon called the Vajra, which was unbreakable as a diamond and powerful as a thunderbolt. It has a spherical head composed of four ribs which taper to a point, and replicas are commonly used in rituals both in Vajrayana Buddhism as well as Hinduism and Jainism. Kukai advanced through the ranks of Shiming Temple, learning more hidden and mysterious rituals, mantras, and practices from Hui Guo as he went. This is the essence of esoteric practice. Those who commit are given access to protected, hidden knowledge as they advance. The traditions he learned were part of Chinese-specific esoteric Buddhism, and thus included some rituals and secret knowledge that had been innovated in China and not India or Tibet. Master Huiguo seems to have been very impressed with Kukai, and granted him the final initiation to become an esoteric master, after mentoring him for a few months. At this point, Kukai had been studying at Ximing Temple for about two years. Master Huiguo allegedly described teaching Kukai as like pouring water from one vase into another. Huiguo died shortly after he had granted Kukai master status, and he advised Kukai to return to Japan and spread the esoteric teachings there saying that he already had enough disciples in China to continue his work at home. Thus, his 20-year mission was completed in only two. Kukai returned to Japan in 806, disembarking at Dazaifu for his re-entry and permission to travel to Heian-kyo. 
I imagined him on the ship heading for Kyushu, full of excitement at seeing his homeland again, head full of plans for discipleship and court recognition, bursting with eagerness to reveal the mysteries of the Dharma to his fellow Japanese. But life goes on when you leave home, and many things had changed which probably made Kukai's homecoming a disappointing affair. As I mentioned in the last episode, Emperor Kamu died in 805, and his son was now enthroned as Emperor Heizei, who left Buddhist matters in the hands of the Nara schools. Any hope he had of demonstrating some of the new rituals he had learned for the court were dashed when he learned that Sai Cho had already performed the Abhisheka, or initiation ritual, for Emperor Kamu and his Kuge the year before. The Tendai school was big tent Buddhism, and esoteric rites were part of that tent. While Sai Cho had not delved into Vajrayana to the level of Kukai, he had not neglected learning some of its basics. While Kukai brought back a large collection of Buddhist texts, which included sutras and tantras not yet seen in Japan, the emperor's lackadaisical approach to Buddhism meant that his return was hardly even noticed by much of the court. We don't know much of what Kukai did during the reign of Heizei Tenno, but I think he probably kept to himself on mountaintops, performing the new rituals he had learned, and likely praying that something would change. In 809, Emperor Heizei abdicated for reasons we will explore in a later episode, and Emperor Saga took the throne. At long last, Kukai's petitions were granted and the court received his report, as well as the detailed inventory of the texts and other things he had brought back from China. He requested recognition for the new form of Buddhism he hoped to found, and they allowed him to take up residence at Takao Sanji Temple, the family temple of the Wake clan where Sai Cho had been noticed by Emperor Kammu years before. Kukai gave his sect a new name to distinguish it from Hosso and Tendai. He called it Shingon, a name which literally means mantra. Kukai made himself available to perform rituals on behalf of the state, a gesture which soon proved very effective at raising Shingon from a personal hobby to a growing sect. In 810, just a year after his coronation, Emperor Saga fell terribly ill, and the court feared the worst. His older brother, Emperor Heizei, had retired from the office of Tenno because of his own health concerns, but his health seems to have made an improvement. We'll discuss his rebellion in more detail in a future episode, for now, it's enough to say that he tried to put himself back on the throne and overthrow his sick brother. Kukai told Emperor Saga that he would perform a ritual that would make the Tenno able to overcome every obstacle and keep the nation in peace. When Heizei's rebellion failed, the emperor partly credited Kukai's efforts, which elevated the status of the Shingon sect. By 812, Many members of the imperial court were regularly seeking Kukai out to help them with their most pressing personal issues. Even Sai Cho, whose own sect of Tendai was gaining popularity among the common people, was drawn to Kukai for instruction in esoteric ritual and practice. Kukai obliged him, 
and that same year performed an initiation ritual for Sai Cho and several other practitioners at Takao Sanji Temple. Throughout the 810s, Kukai published several doctrinal treatises describing the goals and practices of his esoteric sect. In addition to its esoteric practices, Shingon was a polytheistic version of Buddhism that revered the 13 Buddhas. This collection of awakened deities consists not only of Buddhas, but Bodhisattvas, which you may remember are beings who are on the path to enlightenment, and wisdom kings, who acted as guards that protected Buddhism. Kukai was also busy writing poetry, performing rituals, writing epitaphs, and corresponding with other Buddhist leaders. Just like Sai Cho, he exchanged letters with Tokuitsu, the head of the declining Hoso sect, and their dialogue proved very productive for both schools. The Nara schools began sending some of their ordinance to Kukai to receive instruction in esoteric ritual, and the Shingon sect attained a level of establishment approval that Tendai had yet to receive. Saicho continued his esoteric studies under Kukai and even received a second-level initiation for his efforts. When he requested a final promotion, which would have placed him at the master level and made him Kukai's equal in the esoteric domain, Kukai refused. He claimed that Saicho had not yet attained true mastery through study and practice. This is a definite possibility because Sai Cho was already finding it very difficult to both learn esoteric practice while at the same time establishing his own school of Buddhism. He rushed back and forth between Takao Sanji Temple and Mount Hiei. According to religious historian Dr. Paul Groner, in the 10-year period Sai Cho spent studying esoteric practice, which is from 805 to 815, more than half of the yearly ordinance his school had been allotted defected to the Hoso school, left the priesthood to care for ailing parents, or even joined the Shingon sect themselves. Sai Cho took offense at Kukai's refusal to promote him to the final level of esoteric teacher, and Kukai denounced Sai Cho's approach to Buddhism and especially his tendency to make esoteric teachings, which were meant to be for the eyes of the committed only, publicly available. Sai Cho abandoned the esoteric path and returned to Mount Hiei to put things back in order for his own floundering school. He died in 822, and shortly thereafter, the Tendai school was granted permission for independent ordination. Kukai, meanwhile, had established a retreat on Mount Koya, which lies south of Osaka and west of Nara. In 819, the ground was consecrated in an elaborate seven-day ritual to prepare it for the temple complex that was about to be built. Kukai was recalled to Heian-kyo soon after the celebration, however, to advise some of the higher-ranking Kuge in the execution of their duties. He used every spare moment he could find to write letters to raise funds for the Mount Koya complex, but the money came slowly, and the building process was likewise sluggish. In 823, the emperor asked Kukai to take over the construction of Toji Temple, 
which flanked the southern entrance to the capital. This temple was unfinished even after nearly 30 years, and Kukai had gained a reputation as a good administrator of public works a few years earlier when he was put in charge of restoring Manno Reservoir. When Emperor Junna came to the throne later that year, he asked all of the Buddhist leaders to submit statements of belief, practices, and inspirational texts. The new Tenno was so impressed by Kukai's submission that he granted the Shingon sect exclusive use of Toji Temple, which Kukai was now free to construct as an esoteric space. With this, Shingon was an official school and therefore entitled to retain 50 monks at Toji and train them in esoteric practices. Kukai continued to rise in official prominence throughout the 820s. In 824, he was made an official part of state-directed temple construction, and he founded Zempukuji Temple in the Kanto region, specifically Musashi Province, just south of what is now called the city of Tokyo. That same year, he was appointed as junior director of the Office of Priestly Affairs. While this sounds like a subordinate role, there were only four positions in that bureau, and the highest one was often left vacant. He served as the Crown Prince's tutor in 825, and that same year he completed construction of a lecture hall at Toji Temple. He began construction on a pagoda for Toji, the following year, but he did not live to see it finished. In 827, he was promoted to senior director of the Office of Priestly Affairs, effectively having the most power of anyone in the bureau. The following year, he launched the Shuge Shuchu-in, the School of Arts and Sciences. While this was a private institution, all were welcome to attend classes there regardless of caste. There is some disagreement among scholars regarding whether the school ever actually received and taught students, and it's reasonable to think that Kukai was probably kept very busy with raising funds for his temple retreat on Mount Koya, as well as the many government responsibilities required of him. On paper, at least, it was a magnanimous project. It would have offered classes on Taoism and Confucianism, as well as Buddhism, and students would have been provided with free meals. In 830, Kukai finished penning the treatise that would become his masterpiece, the Himitsu Mandara Jujushinron, the treatise on the ten stages of developing the mind, was a massive tome that instructed in great detail Kukai's classifications of Buddhist teachings and practices. The book is so long that even to this day it has never been fully translated into any other language. In 831, he began to be plagued by frequent illness and asked permission to retire from his courtly duties. This request was denied, but the court granted him sick leave so that he could take a break from the rigors of his work. In late 832, he returned to Mount Koya, where he would spend his remaining years in meditation and ascetic living. 
Two years later, he petitioned the court to construct a chapel in the imperial palace specific to Shingon specifications for the purposes of protective rituals to safeguard the state. This was quickly granted, and Shingon rituals were added to the already very busy ritual calendar of the imperial court. Shingon Buddhism was now the de facto form of Buddhism practiced by the Kuge and the emperor and his family. In 835, the court at last granted the monastery atop Mount Koya official status, albeit with permission to ordain only three monks every year. He died two months later. It is typical for Buddhist practitioners to be cremated after death, but Kukai's dying wish was that his body would be entombed on Mount Koya, where it sits to this day. There is a possibility that he engaged in a practice called Sokushinbutsu, which is essentially self-mummification. Google this at your own risk. But the basic idea is that the ascetic practitioner reduces their intake of food and water gradually until they stop eating and drinking altogether and pretty much starve to death. It is said that Kukai stopped eating and drinking toward the end of his life, which certainly raises the possibility. The other bit of evidence is that Kukai's followers, even to this day, believe that he is alive in his mausoleum, sitting in deep meditation as he awaits the appearance of the Maitreya, the Buddha who will come in the future. Every day, food and drink offerings are brought into his tomb, but only one particular priest is allowed inside, and none of the priests have ever testified about what they see inside Kukai's tomb. Later generations would honor him with the name Kobo Daishi, or Great Teacher, a title which Emperor Daigo in the 10th century would posthumously bestow upon him. He and Saicho both had a tremendous effect on Japanese Buddhism, the ripples of which would sometimes dictate the course of history. Next time, we'll turn our attention toward military matters and meet the very first Seitai Shogun. Until then, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at A History of Japan. Visit the online store, ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com, and find us on the web, ahistoryofjapan.com.